I shall call the place Polford. You won't find it on any map. To make certain its true location is never known, I have deliberately confused geographical features. All names have been changed. But that apart, this is exactly how it happened. Polford was slowly dying. Years ago, there was hardly room in its tiny harbour for all the fishing boats, but suddenly, for no good reason, the fish stopped coming. Many people left, and like the fish, they never came back. That was when the village started to die. <laughs> it's a funny thing. Until I came to Polford, I'd never seen a dead body. I'd never known real fear. Outbreak of Fear, a thriller serial in five parts by R.D. Wingfield. With Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. Part one, the body on the beach. Offered police, Sergeant Fowler speaking. Oh, hello, Vicar. No, no, I'm a bit tied up at the moment, showing a new bloke around. I'll try and pop in and see you. About 11 o'clock? Fine. Goodbye. You made that tea yet, Beaumont? Coming, Sarge. Ciao. Oh, blimey. Didn't they teach you how to make tea in that training college? What's wrong with it? Did you put any tea in? Yeah, of course I did. And you didn't put in enough, or you didn't let it stand. You've got to let tea stand. I hate weak tea. Sorry, Sergeant. Sit down. <clears throat> Now, why have they dumped you on me, Beaumont? Whom have I offended? Well, it's only for a few weeks, Sergeant. Until they complete the reorganisation at Denton, then I'll be posted there. It may be for a few weeks for you, Beaumont, but it'll seem like months to me. Anyway, you're here and I've got to put up with you. Now, this is the police house, station below, living quarters behind and above. You'll have the small back bedroom, you'll make your own bed, but a woman does the cleaning. Come and look at the map. Holford District. This is the area we cover. It's about 300 square miles. Sounds a lot, but it's mainly 300 square miles of nothing. Sand dunes, rocks, barren moorland and coastline. There's some 40 houses in the actual village, together with a church, a pub, cottage hospital and a mortuary. Mortuary? Part of the cottage hospital. Neither are used much. The doctor lives there. Uses part of the ground floor as his surgery. Serious cases go to the main hospital at Norriston. That's outside our area, about 25 miles away. Outside the village, scattered all over the moorlands, are disused tin mines, worked out stone quarries, isolated houses, shacks and shanties. There's two of us keeping Her Majesty's peace, my humble self and Constable Dave Clark, whom you'll meet in a minute. Sergeant! Sergeant Fowler! Ah, our first customer. Go and see what he wants, would you? Uh, can I help you? No, you can't! Sergeant! Hey, you're giving me a headache. I want to report a crime. They're reporting to him. He's young, he's keen, and he's bursting with enthusiasm. Uh, could I have your name, sir? Dickie. D-I-C-K-E-Y. Fred. Address? Sergeant knows where I live. I want to report a serious crime. My Maisie's dead. Oh. Yeah, I see. Uh, could just wait. S Sergeant? Got him sorted out, Ben Beaumont? Um, he's reporting a death, Sergeant. Who? His Maisie? Maisie's his cow. 
What's this I hear about Maisie Frey? She went over the cliff, found her on the rocks, smashed to pieces. It's the law of gravity, Fred. How many times have I told you to put some sort of fence up? She was deliberately driven over the edge. Damn off it, Fred. Who'd do a thing like that? Oh, I'll tell you who. That weirdy who's camped out on the moor. The bloke with the beard. He's an oil company geologist exploring the bowels of the earth to bring wealth and prosperity to all. He hasn't got time to chase cows over cliffs. Then what was he doing in my field 12 o'clock last night? When I see him, I'll ask him. And if it's not a rude answer, I'll tell you. Where's the carcass? On the beach. I want it moved. Well, I can't move it. One pair of hands, that's all I got. I'll send Constable Clark over to help, together with my young colleague here. You should manage it between you. I still say he deliberately drove her over that cliff. I'll get Constable Clark to look into it. He's over 70, you know. Wouldn't think so to look at him, would he? No, Sergeant. How do I enter this in the book? Just put deceased bovine. What? Didn't they teach you about moving dead cows in training college? No, Sergeant. Very similar to moving dead horses. You'll soon pick it up. Well, uh, good morning, Constable Clark. How kind of you to put in an appearance. Oh. Heavy night? Oh, it had its lighter moments of rapture, Sarge. Any tea going? Oh, I'll get you some. Oh, tar. Who's he? Our new little chum. His name's Beaumont. Straight from training college. Dumped on us for a couple of weeks. Here we are. One tea. Tar. My name's Clark. Dave Clark. Don't let him lead you astray, Beaumont. He's the Earl Flynn of Pulford. You never know whose bed you're going to find him in. Yeah, what's up with Fred Dickey? He's half look miserable. His cow went over the cliff last night. I said you'd love to give him a hand holding it off. Oh, have a heart, Sarge. You'd need a gang of navvies. Beaumont kindly offered to help. You could give him a tour of the area at the same time. Well, we could cut it up, I suppose. Lift it bit by bit. Yeah, that's an idea. We could be in for some cheap beef. It won't be fit for human consumption, will it? Oh, I don't see why not. If there's any going, I'll have some. Go on, on your way. Just going. Be out fire. Who made this tea? Is it always as misty as this? Most mornings. Rolls in from the sea. If it wasn't for the fog, you'd be able to see the old Black Rock Lighthouse. And down there... Where the mist is thickest, that's one of our local beauty spots. A private graveyard. A what? The Lansing family's graveyard. Very exclusive. And been used for years. Family died out 50 years or more ago. They lived in a big house on top of the cliff. We'll see it later. Supposed to have made their money smuggling. Smuggling? Oh, ah, goodies from France. French brandy, liqueurs. Naughty postcard as well, I shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> oh, they were supposed to be a dissipated lot. <laughs> That little cove down there is where they brought the stuff in. It's still called Lansing Cove. Quite high up here, aren't we? Ah, a couple hundred feet. Give you a nasty headache if you fell. You got a girlfriend? Uh, no one regular. Ah, very little talent round here. I'm running around with the barmaid at the pub at the moment. Here, I'll buy you a drink tonight and introduce you. Oh, ta. She's got a friend. Oh? Yeah, tell you what, I'll introduce you. We can make up a foursome. What's she like? Pleasant. Very pleasant. How are you getting on with the sergeant? Oh, so-so. Uh, he seems a bit short-tempered. Yeah, he's been like that ever since his wife went. I was wondering about his wife. How did she die? Oh, she didn't die. She walked out on him. The wound is still very raw. Why did she leave? Another man? No. Well, she suddenly got fed up with being a copper's wife. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to get married. Hope you don't find things too boring down here. 
Getting this dead cow off the rock's going to be the highlight of our week. Foul at the clock. Foul at the clock. Come in, please. Yes, Sarge. What's your position? Over. On the cliff road. A uh, couple hundred yards past Black Point. We've had an anonymous phone call. Who from, Sarge? Very funny. Hope you'll still be laughing when I tell you it reported a body on the beach off Highcliffe. Check it out, would you? Oh. On our way, Sarge. Much experience with dead bodies? No, I've never seen one in my life. Well, as it's your first, let's hope it hasn't been in the sea too long. I can't see anything. It'll be over that direction if it's anywhere. Current brings them all in here. We had three bodies in one week last year. Put the visitors off their ice creams. Hello, Sarge. Found anything? Not a corpse in sight, Sarge. Your anonymous caller must have been having you on. Over there. Beaumont spotted something, Sarge. He's gone off like a dog after a rat. I'll get back to you. Here, wait for me. Had I known what we were going to find, I wouldn't have run so eagerly to my first body. A man, spread-eagled, face down on the rocky beach, the incoming tide lapping at his feet. The rest of him was dry. He hadn't been in the sea. He'd fallen from that 200-foot-high cliff. Here, give us a hand. We've got to move him. Well, I, I thought we weren't supposed to move dead bodies until the doctor comes. Now that don't apply when the tide's coming in. It'll float out to see if we don't shift it. Turn it over first. Let's see who it is. His face. Look at his face. Oh, my God. A bearded man, aged about 40. One sightless eye staring up out of a face bloody and lacerated, as if it had been whipped with barbed wire. But it was his right eye, or where his right eye should have been. Clark, Sergeant Fowler, over. Go ahead, Clarky. We, we found your body, Sarge. It's that oil company geologist, Aldridge. He must have fallen over the cliff. Is he dead? Dead? Every flaming bone in his body is broken. There's something else. His eye's been ripped out. Never seen a body before. How did his face get in that state? I don't know. Here, stop staring at it. You all right? Yeah, I think so. Are you sure? Corpse has got more colour than you have. What's an oil company geologist doing in Polford? Polford's a potential oil boom town, didn't you know? You could be sitting up one of the largest deposits of oil in the Northern Hemisphere. Well, should liven the place up a bit. Half the locals welcome the idea. The other half don't want the natural beauty of the district spoiled. In my opinion, Paulford is the only place that oil pollution would improve. Why'd you stay? I don't know. It's got a certain eerie charm. What are you doing down there? Waiting for you, Sarge! Yes, Sarge. Then I suggest you come up here and try again. There's skid marks, blood, and bits of broken wing marrow. Mm. 
Come in, Sarge. Just my bloody luck. Oh, shall I come with you? No, no, you'll moan like mad if we leave the body unattended. Someone might pinch it. There, look. Skid marks. And this is where it hit him. Must have been going to a fair old lick, Sarge. It's a wonder the car didn't go over the edge as well. It wasn't a car, it was a van. A blue van. Well, how do you know? Because I use my eyes, Constable, which is what you should flaming well do. Now look there, in the grass. You think that might help you with your inquiries? Number plate. LXT123. Mr. Mitchell, Lansing House's blue van. Brilliant, Constable. How do you do it? There's the doctor. Well, I'll leave you to look around some more in case there's anything else you've missed. Well, Doctor? Dead about two and a half hours. Fractured skull, broken neck, broken legs, broken ribs. Did you notice these fragments of glass on the jacket? Bets of wang mirror. We think he was struck by a van and sent flying over the edge. A van? Oh, yes. That would account for the rib damage here. The fall wouldn't have done it. Oh, Mary says I'm to invite you round for a meal tonight. I'm quite capable of getting my own meals, thank you. No one said you weren't. It's a social invitation, so we can both enjoy your charming company. These facial lacerations are interesting. What caused him? Uh, hard to tell. There's so much blood and sand there. I should be able to tell better when I get him back and clean him up. Well, are you coming or not? What would we have to eat? If you're invited to dinner, George, you don't demand to see the menu first. I think it's chicken. Mm. Roast potatoes? Why don't you ask the colour of the plates? If you don't want to come, fair enough. I'll ask your new constable. All right, I'll come. That right eye is interesting. Could a bird have done that? Mm, possible, but I don't think so. Uh, was the body in this position when you found it, constable? Uh, Constable? If you're going to be sick, Beaumont, <coughs> kindly move down when. <coughs> it's his first body. They say the first is always the worst. <coughs> Are you all right, Constable? Yes. Thank you. Sorry. No, 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 he was face down. Even if he was face up, it couldn't have been a bird. There's far too much blood there. That eye came out while he was still alive. Well, nothing more I can tell you until I get him back to my place. It's just like old times, Sergeant. I thought this one would please you. Clarkie, give the doctor a hand with the body. I'm taking Beaumont with me to visit Mr. Mitchell. Who is this Mr. Mitchell, Sergeant? Mystery man. Only been in Paulford a couple of years. Bought the old Lansing house up on the cliff. The Lansings? They're the one with the private graveyard, aren't they? The haunted graveyard, that's right. Haunted? People say there's lights moving about the graves at night. Old Lansing looking for his dead wife. I say it's courting couples doing their brass rubbing. Ah, here's the house. Well, it's big, isn't it? He's not short of a few, Bob. Funny thing, Mitchell was head of the Keep the Oilmen Out of Polford campaign. Looks as if he's keeping them out by knocking them off cliffs. Let's see what he's got to say for himself. Yes? What do you want? The girl who answered the door was the most beautiful thing I'd seen for weeks. Months. Years. Blonde. Sexy. Suntanned all over. I state that categorically because she wore nothing under her loose, unbuttoned house coat. She had a tiny mole on her stomach. I didn't notice the colour of her eyes. 
Police, miss. We'd like a word with Mr. Mitchell. He's not in. I think you'll find he is, miss. He was looking out the window at us as we walked up the drive. I'll see if he's available. Your mouth's open, Beaumont. Who is she? No idea. That's the sort of body I'd much rather find on the beach. In the lounge. The house reeked of money. The lounge was panelled in exotic woods. A full-size snooker table sank knee-deep into a thick-piled carpet. A projection-colour TV stood alongside an enormous replica of a pub bar, which propped up Mr Mitchell, a well-built, swarthy man in his mid-fifties. His eyes were bloodshot, and he was very unsteady on his feet. Sergeant Fowler, come in, sit down. Pleasure, great pleasure. Ah, oh, thank you, sir. Drink? Let me get your drink. Uh, no, thank you, sir. I'm driving. It's very dangerous to drink and drive. You seem to have sunk a few, if you don't mind my mentioning it. Sir. It's not a crime for a man to drink in his own home, is it? No, miss, not in his own home. Mm, should have introduced you, Sergeant. Miss Kim... Uh, what's your second name? Reynolds. Uh, miss Kim Reynolds, a friend. He hasn't been out all day. You're a mind reader, Miss Reynolds. I was just about to ask that. You haven't been out at all today, then, sir? That's right. I'm his witness. You own a dark blue van, Mr Mitchell. Registration number LXT123. That's correct. Would you like my constable to do that for you, sir? Your hand seems to be shaking. I'm all right. I'm all right. Thank you. Nothing worrying you, sir? No. So you weren't out in your van this morning? We've just said so. Mr Mitchell? No, I wasn't. And was Miss Reynolds with you when you weren't out in your van this morning, or did she stay here? I don't know what you're talking about. You know damn well. You left your front number plate behind. You bloody fool. I said you should go back. Shut up. Go upstairs. Put some clothes on. Hold on, miss. Before she goes, sir, was she with you in the van? No. You sure? We've had enough lies. She wasn't with me in the van. Right, miss. We won't need you anymore. Thank you. Right, Mr Mitchell. You know me. I'm all for the easy life. Suppose we forget everything that's been said up to now and start from scratch, eh? Have you been out today, sir? Yes. I took the van into town to pick up supplies. I was coming back along the cliff road. What time would this be? A little after nine. He didn't give me a chance. He suddenly dashed out in the middle of the road, screaming. I pounded the horn, I slammed on the brakes, but there was no way I could miss him. Had you been drinking? God, no, I didn't start drinking till I got back you here. You said he was screaming at you? No, someone was chasing him. That's who he was screaming at, pleading. He was in fear of his life. Who was chasing him? I don't know. The, the mist was still quite thick. It all happened in a split second. He charged out in front of me. His face, I saw his face just before I hit him. He was terrified. Oh, my God, his eye. What about his eye? Nothing there. Nothing there at all. You smashed him over the edge. Did you bother to stop to see if you could help him? He was beyond help. It was a sheer 200 foot drop. He was beyond help. But surely you stopped, got out the van. You hadn't seen the look on his face. I couldn't get away from there quick enough. I was terrified, terrified of whatever it was he was running from. Is fear contagious, Sergeant? Because if it is, I caught his fear. Vicar. Right. Goodbye, Vicar. Oi, Clarkie. You haven't been taking your bits of stuff down to the old Lansing graveyard, have you? No. Why? Vicar's worried about strange people creeping round the crypts at night. Didn't want to embarrass you if it was you furthering your sex life. Oh, graves turned me off, I'm afraid. 
We'll need a statement from Mitchell. He'll be in tomorrow with his lawyer. Are you going to charge him, Sergeant? With what? Dangerous driving. Failing to stop. Failing to report an accident. He did report it. He phoned. An anonymous phone call. You can't... Listen, Beaumont, when you get your new posh division, they'll probably run a league table for the highest number of bookings. But down here in the sticks, we like the peaceful life. Aldridge ran out in front of the van. Mitchell couldn't avoid hitting him. An unfortunate accident, nothing more. But his eye... The doctor will have solved that mystery by the time I get there for dinner. You reckon? He used to be a home office pathologist. Get away. Gave it up a couple of years back. Bought a practice down here. Not much good at curing his patients, but can always tell you what they died of. Not very funny, Clarky. You contacted Aldridge's next of kin? All the Met boys are doing it through the oil company. No family details, home address or anything in his wallet. Fair enough. Who's minding the shop tonight? Ah, um, meant to have a word with you about that, Sarge. <clears throat> I uh, promised young Beaumont here I'd take him down to the pub tonight. Calm catting? Well, if our luck's in. Only, uh, I'm supposed to be on duty. And I've been invited to roast chicken round the doctors. Oh, you could have all the phone calls switched through to the doctors, couldn't you, Sarge? I mean, not that I expect there'd be any. All right, Clarky, but you owe me one. And I'm first in the bathroom, Beaumont. Yes, Sarge. <laughs> right, there you go, then. Get that down inside you. Sarge, cheers. Cheers. Mm. Hold on, there's a girlfriend. Rose! Just a minute. Well, what do you reckon then, eh? Very nice. Hello, Dave. Hello, sexy legs. This is our new copper, Roy Beaumont. Nice to meet you, Rose. Was you with him when they found that man on the beach? Both his eyes out. Makes me shudder. Only one eye, Rose. Sally in yet. Should be in later. Why? Roy here's dying to meet her. Thought we'd make up a foursome. Oh, she'd like that. Poor Sally. What about some service, then? Coming, sir. I'll be back. Right. What did she mean, poor Sally? Hey, oh, nothing, nothing. You know, who's that bloke she's serving? Never seen him before. <laughs> Someone's happy. What's the joke, Pete? Go on, Albert. There's the police. Go on and tell them what you heard. What's this then, Albert? <laughs> the ghost of the moor. <laughs> yeah, they didn't laugh, but I know what I heard. I heard screaming. Oh, tell us about it, Albert. I could do with a laugh. That fog's as thick as anything outside. Can't see hand in front of your face. Or behind it. No. I'm coming back on my old horse and car. Took the shortcut, the road through the moors near uh, Harry Day's place. And, well, my old horse knows the way home blindfolded. I must have nodded off to sleep. Only for a minute. Uh, then it wakes me. A scream. The most awful scream. Frightened the living daylight out of me at dead. Did you stop and investigate? Oh, did I, heck? Yeah. I, I, I just flicked the reins and come galloping home. Very brave, Albert. Well, what could I have done out in that fog? I wasn't even sure which direction it came from. Oh, opposite direction from which you galloped off, I reckon, Albert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no sense in talking to you. I know what I heard. Now we've upset him. What do you reckon it was? Oh, he was asleep. He dreamt it. Ah, you're in luck. <clears throat> Here's Sally. Over here, Sally! Oh, my God. Say when. When? When? <laughs> oh, damn fine dinner. Good. Heard anything from Phyllis? No, and I don't want to. A soda? Not for me, no. 
she uh, phoned here, you know. Left a number, just in case you wanted to get in touch with her. Well, I don't. She left me. She knows my phone number. Did you examine the body yet? If we must talk shop, yes, I did. You'll have a written report tomorrow. The lacerations on his face? There were thorns embedded in the flesh, the hair, and the clothes. He'd run full pelt straight through a thorn bush of some kind. And the eye? Imagine running full pelt into thorns. He ran into the bush. It tore his eye out, and still he ran on. The pain. The pain would have been terrible. He could have been running away from something he feared more than the pain. Mitchell said he was running from someone. Well, he could have been high on drugs. He wouldn't have known what he was doing. He wouldn't have felt anything. That sounds more like it. Except I rushed samples through to forensic. They phoned through to say there was nothing. Oh, no. I'm not going to be called out tonight, am I? It's like pea soup out there. <laughs> Please, um, Sergeant, it's for you. Constable Clark, Mrs. Trevor, what's all this? Sergeant, it's my Debbie. Uh, she's out there. She's missing. You've got to find her. You've got to send a search party out now. She's out there. Now, now, Mrs. Trevor, take it easy. Now, sit down. What's all this about, Clarky? She came bursting into the pub in hell of a state. Thought her Debbie was round Linda Jones' house. Been there all day, but Linda said they'd been out playing on the moors. Linda come home two hours ago, left Debbie there. Thought she'd have been back by now. She's only ten. Anything could have happened to her. You've got to send a search party. Well, here, Mrs Trevor, uh, drink this. Now, go on, drink it. There's something else, Sarge. Albert Maskell was driving his horse and cart near the moors where Debbie was. He said he heard screams. Get the car. Well, we'll never find her in this fog. You heard what I said, Clarkie. Get the car. We searched, but with visibility down to a couple of feet, even the sergeant had to admit it was hopeless. So we crawled dejectedly back to organise a full-scale search for first light. That was my first day at Polford, and my first body. In the morning, on the moor, I was going to find body number two. That was part one of Outbreak of Fear by R.D. Wingfield, with Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler, and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. The rest of the cast, Dave Clark, Cornelius Garrett, Dr. Lethbridge, Paul Nicholson, Pete Carter, Derek Graham, Mitchell, Conrad Phillips, Fred Dickey, Fred Bryant, Rose, Gilly Gratton, Albert, Douglas Leach, Kim, Deborah Page, and Mrs. Trevor, Patricia Gibson. The programme was directed in Bristol by Brian Miller. Outbreak of Fear, a thriller serial in five parts by R.D. Wingfield, with Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. Part two, The Second Body. Sergeant! I'm coming, I'm coming! <laughs> 
Blasted fogs thicker than ever. What time is it? It's just coming up to six. Oh, well, we're starting out to look for that kid at half past, come what may. What on earth are you cooking? Bacon, eggs and fried bread. You'll ruin your constitution eating that muck. Don't you want any? Oh, is it for me as well? Lovely, chuck it over here. And I made the tea. Oh. Did you let it stand, like I said? Yes, Sergeant. What time will the others be here? Help yourself to sugar. Half past six. You sure you let this tea stand? Yes. How many spoonfuls you put in? Three heat teaspoons, Sergeant. Exactly as you told me. Here's your breakfast. Mine, the plate's on. Sir, what do you reckon that screaming was on the moor last night? You can't believe half of what Albert Mastel says. Lives in a world of his own half the time. You going to eat that fried bread? Yes, Sarge. Oh. Oh, have it if you want. No, 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 wouldn't deprive you. Hope that kid's all right. Listen, we did what we could, Sarge. The fog beat us. We should have carried on a bit longer and we might have found her. This tea is terrible. Sorry. Do you want me to make some more? Oh, no, and spare me that whip puppy look. You sure you're going to eat that fried bread? Oh, here you are. Oh, it's not good for you, Beaumont. Full of starch, fat, cholesterol. I'm actually doing you a favour. <laughs> and turn the radio up, I want to hear the news. All right. It's six o'clock, you early birds, and here's the latest up-to-the-minute local news from Radio Coastline. Actually, ten prisoners, amongst them four serving life sentences for murder, escaped last night from the maximum security wing of Hexley Prison after killing a prison warder. A massive search operation is underway with roadblocks being set up. The prisoners are extremely dangerous and are known to be armed. Troops from nearby Hexley Barracks have been... Hexley, how close is that? Search. 30 miles away, just outside our area. Shush! was admitted to Norriston Hospital last night, suspected to be suffering from rabies. His condition is said to be extremely serious. No other details have been released. Football! Norriston Rovers were defeated 6-0 in their League Cup replay last night. Financial time share index. Six flaming nil? Bunch of cripples. Oh, morning, Sarge. Beaumont. Morning. morning. What's the weather doing? Fog's lifting. Here, I smell bacon. You do, but you're not having any. Oh, charming. What are you eating? Here, where's my fried bread? I'll have you for that, Clarkie. Oh, I thought you'd finish. Anything on news? Ten armed prisoners escaped from Exley. Nick Rabies in Norriston. Rangers lost six nil. And Beaumont made the tea. <laughs> Clarkie. If that kid's day we tried it, what else could we have done? We packed it in too soon. Ah, sounds like our search party. Now that's not Mrs. Trevor, is it? Yeah, she insisted on coming. Well, I suppose we can't stop her. Whose car is that, the big grey one? It's not from round here. Hello? Anyone there? Who the hell is there? Did you leave the outside door open? Oh, I suppose I must have done. Shop! I'll give him a shock. Yes! Ah, at last. Sergeant Fowler? Yes, and I am not deaf. You don't have to shout. Oh, I'm sorry. My name's Chadwick, Detective Chief Superintendent Chadwick, from Scotland Yard. Oh? Does your station usually reek of bacon? No, sir. Quite often it reeks of kippers. This isn't just a police station, it is also my home. Now, what can I do for you, sir? I'm very, very busy. Firstly, Sergeant, here's my warrant card, as you clearly have some doubts as to my rank and the respect due to it. Secondly, I have a letter for you from your chief constable. You are to open it and read it now. Ah. <clears throat> yes, sir. Uh, I see. 
I presume you know the contents, sir? I was with your chief constable when he dictated it. As you see, you're to place yourself and your men under my command. Am I permitted to ask what it's all about? Richard Aldridge, geologist with oil exploration. Killed here yesterday. That's right. Knocked off a cliff by a van. An accident. We normally handle traffic cases without outside help. Spare me your heavy sarcasm, Sergeant. Have you any reason to suppose this death wasn't accidental? No. No? What about his eye? He ran smack bang into some thorn bushes. A branch ripped it out. He was probably stoned out of his mind. Oh, drugs? Well, what do forensics say? They couldn't trace any foreign substance. Well, then we can rule out drugs. I also understand he was screaming and calling out to his pursuer as he ran into the path of the van. He was screaming and yelling, sir. No one saw a pursuer. Because it was foggy? Perhaps. Surely enough to make you doubt that the death was purely accidental. Perhaps, but why send you? Why such a big noise from the yard? Oil, Sergeant. International complications. There's oil here, easily accessible and lots of it. A flood of cheap oil will do wonders for Britain, but will create havoc on the international oil market. Certain Middle Eastern countries would do anything to prevent that from happening. So, when an oil company geologist gets himself killed in strange circumstances, both the oil company and the government start getting nervous. So I'm taking charge. Come no, in. I'm coming. Ah. Sorry, sir. Force of action. We're ready to move off now, Sarge. Move off? Where? Look, whatever else you've got on hand, Fowler, I want it cancelled. Little girl, Debbie Trevor, ten years old, missing on the moors all night. We were going to look for her. But if it's cancelled, the mother's outside. Perhaps you'd go and tell her. <clears throat> I'll carry on with the search, Sergeant. I'll come with you. I'd like to see how my men work. By the time we reached the moor, the mist was clearing and the sun just starting to break through. In the half-light, Polford looked almost beautiful. Chadwick brought out a pair of expensive binoculars and surveyed the landscape. How far shall we go then, Sergeant? Make it as far as those rocks, Pete. When you reach them, wait. I'll come to you. Right. Come on, you lot. Clarky? Uh, Constable Clark. Take Beaumont and nip over to Harry Day's place. She might have reached there and stayed the night. He'd have brought her back by now. Maybe, but check it out. Right. Come on, Beaumont. Some rugged country around here, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Do you think I could have a look through those field glasses? Wait a minute. Hello, what's that? Birds swooping down from the sky. Crows, I think. We haven't really got time for bird-watching, Mr Chadwick. Well, something's attracted them. Animal carcass, I think. Sheep, perhaps? There's no sheep. Oh, no. No, please, no. Beaumont! Clark! Over there, quick! Get out of it! Get out of the way! Go on! Get out! Oh, God. Sergeant! Is it the girl, Clarky? Is it the girl? It wasn't the girl. It was an old man, ugly in death, lying on his back wearing faded striped pyjamas, the jacket half pulled from one shoulder to show the thin grey body beneath. His limbs were unnaturally positioned. The feet were bare, raw, cut to ribbons. But the face... The face... It was almost unrecognisable. It had been beaten to a pulp. God, it's Harry Day. I asked you to wait for me, Sergeant. His name's Harry Day. He was 75 years old and he lived in a shack a mile or so from here. 
Those head injuries. No, don't touch the body, Sergeant. This is a murder investigation. We want a doctor and photographs. You, sir. Uh, the murder weapon, a heavy lump of wood, metal, stone, might be lying around. See if you can find it. Yes, sir. Probably being chucked in the sea. More than likely. There's a chance he dropped it and ran. Pardon? Here! I found a girl! Debbie Trevor was alive and unharmed in an exhausted sleep. Her night's exposure could have been fatal. But someone had wrapped a thick dressing gown round her as she slept. It was Harry Day's dressing gown. Harry Day's dressing gown? Are you sure, Doctor? Of course I'm sure. Harry was one of my patients. Good Lord, he was wearing it when I called on him the day before yesterday. That oil company geologist was with him. Strange, they now should both be dead. Who had covered the girl with the dressing gown? The sergeant tried to question her, but she couldn't help much. It wasn't the old man, she was sure of that. It was someone big, a big man. He'd come in the dark as she was drifting off to sleep and had gently covered her up. This must have been minutes after he'd killed the old man. We gathered round the body at a respectful distance as the doctor carried out his careful and unhurried examination. We haven't got all day, you know, Doctor. You're in my light, Mr. Chatter. I only want to know the cause of death, not his medical history. The cause of death was heart failure. What? Heart failure? Look, is there another doctor we can call in? No, sir. Look at his face, Doctor. His head. Don't you think that that might have something to do with his death? No. The blows to the head were delivered after death, typical post-mortem wounds. Oh, so you're an expert on post-mortem wounds, are you, Doctor? For your information, sir, Dr Lethbridge was a senior home office pathologist for nearly 20 years. You're in the CID. You must surely have heard of him. Dr Lethbridge? Of course, of course. Why did you give it up? Overwork. Thought I'd try my skills on the living for a change. No, we're very fortunate to have someone with your skills. Heart failure, you say? Yes. My guess is that he ran and in his bare feet until his heart gave out. Then his pursuer did this to his face. Why, for God's sake? Well, I don't know why. Perhaps he just enjoyed doing it. And the girl, the dressing gown? Stripped from Day's body after death. Uh, that accounts for the curious placement of the limbs. Then gently wrapped round the sleeping child. I find that sick. So do I. He must be a maniac. It's pretty certain he'll kill again. Before that happens, we're going to find him. We'll need more men, Mr Chadwick. I'll contact County as soon as we get back. I presume you'll be bringing someone in from outside to do the postmortem. I doubt if we get anyone with your qualifications, Doctor. Will you do it? If you wish. Thank you. we better take a look at Day's cottage now, Sergeant. Good, good grief, what's been happening here? The room looked like the saloon bar in a Western film after the big fight scene. Furniture upturned, ornaments broken on the floor, the mirror smashed, pieces of crockery everywhere you trod. Harry Day had put up quite a fight before running barefoot into the dark. He was 75. We found him nearly two miles away. Now, how did he manage to run that far without his pursuer catching him? I don't know. If there's a maniac loose, we must warn the villagers. Yes, but don't panic them. I think you can leave that to me, sir. Yes. Right, secure the doors and let's go back. Slow down, Beaumont. This isn't the wall of death. Sorry, Sergeant. Where are you planning to stay while you're with us, sir? I suppose you and Mrs. Fowler couldn't put me up. My wife is no longer with me, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. You needn't be. They take visitors at the pub. 
Isn't there a spare room at the police house? There was, sir. Constable Beaumont occupies it now. Oh, well. The pub, then. Good. Can I be he's in a hurry? Who was that driving? His name's Mitchell, the driver of the van that killed Ulrich. I know him, Sergeant. Oh? Changed his name, but I know him. He's kicked out of the army for various malpractices, then became a mercenary. He'd kill anyone you wanted at a price. He's a big man, isn't he? You could smell fear in the village. The news and manner of Harry Day's death, following so closely on the peculiar death of the geologist, had affected everybody. Doors usually kept open were now firmly bolted and barred. People stopped going out alone. They saw the hand of the maniac killer everywhere. I tell you, Sergeant, he smashed my boat. A dirty great hole in the bottom. Take weeks to repair. It's my livelihood. You saw him do it, Pete? I didn't see anyone do it. If I'd seen him, he wouldn't have got away with it. Eric Farrow's boat's been wrecked and all. Oddly enough, someone seemed to have gone on a motiveless orgy of boat smashing. We had six reports that morning and two more in the afternoon. Also, the three public call boxes in the area had been vandalised. The maniac killer was blamed for that as well. I'm on the phone. <sighs> Telephone engineer? At long last. Sergeant Fowler here, Polford Police. The three phone boxes in this area have been vandalised, handsets torn out. Two weeks? People need those phones. All right, all right, all right. But be as quick as you can. Bloody technicians. What the hell does he want? Coming, sir. You, uh, you want me, sir? Might have a lead. This lady thinks she has actually seen our man. <sighs> Hello, Miss Reed. Sergeant? You've seen someone, Miss Reed. When was this? I've already told your chief superintendent. Then tell me, Miss Reed. Saves him having to repeat it. When did you see him? Late last night. Almost eleven o'clock. I looked out of my window and he was in the garden, staring at me. Miss Reed's house is barely a mile away from Harry Day's place. Yes, sir, I know where she lives. Did you get a good look at him, Miss Reed? Very briefly. It was the shock. I was terrified. He was big, darkish clothes, and his face was black. You mean he was a black man? Oh, no, no, no. It had been darkened, the way commandos did in the war. Something smeared on his face. I see. Were you getting undressed at the time? Undressed? Really, Sergeant, I fail to see what this has got to do Were with you it. undressed, Miss Reed? I, I was getting undressed, yes. With the light on and the curtains open. The house stands on its own. There's no one to see me. One gets out of the habit of drawing the curtains. Does one? How many times have you been in here over the past three months making complaints? Well, I don't Four know. times, or is it five? Well, I don't now, I've got the logbook. I can check if you like. Five. And all the same complaint. Strange, beefy men staring in at you. Really, all feasting their dirty eyes on your naked well, body. I'm quoting your own words, of course. It happened. Did it? Last night was different, Sergeant. There really was someone there. OK, Miss Reed, leave it with us. We'll look into it. Look, that's not enough, Sergeant. I'm all alone out there. I want a police guard, a permanent police guard. We haven't got the men, Miss Reed, but we'll do what we can. Just take care. Keep your doors locked and your curtains closed. Can you get back all right? I have my bicycle. Good. Uh, show the lady out, Constable. This way, Miss Reed. Stupid woman. Not stupid, sir. Terrified. 
Like most of the people around here. Now, when are we getting more men? We're not. What? I've been on to the Chief Constable. County haven't got any to spare. We've got a maniac loose, a double killer, a couple of tracker dogs. That's all we want. We'd have him in no time. No chance of any tracker dogs. In any case, most of them have been put down. Put down? You've heard about the suspected rabies outbreak? Yes, yes. Well, first forget about the suspected. There's no doubt at all. It's one hell of an outbreak. Huh? We're not releasing full details to the public, so keep this under your hat. About a month ago, an anti-vivisection group broke into the government research laboratory at Norriston. They opened cages and released over 40 laboratory animals. Dogs, cats, rats, guinea pigs. The animals were being used in a research program to develop an anti-rabies vaccine. They were all rabid. No. Officially, three people have died. Let me tell you, unofficially, that the death toll to date is 23, and another 16 will die within the next two days. Good God. So you see, our two deaths must seem rather small beer to county at the moment. One bonus, though. County are establishing a three-mile no-go buffer zone between our boundary and Norriston letting no one in or out. So our killer must still be in the area. And all we've got to do is find him. Uh, it's the vicar to see you, Sergeant. Said he called uh, earlier. Forgot about him. Can't see him now. Tell him I'm out. Oh, hello, vicar. Come in, come in. Thank you, Beaumont. Vicar? This is Detective Chief Superintendent Chadwick, and I'm afraid we are rather busy. I'm sure you are, Sergeant. Uh, terrible business, this. Just terrible. Actually, that's why I'm here. Oh, dear. I'm sure you'll think I'm wasting your time, but... Sit down, Vicar. Let's hear it. It's about the old Lansing graveyard. What? That's a disused private graveyard outside the village, Mr Chadwick. Reports of lights flickering there at night. We'll, we'll look into it, Vicar. First chance we get. It's the old Lansing vault where the stone coffins are. You probably know the church receives a small That's annual right, sum from the Lansing estate for minor maintenance of the vault. I usually check it <sighs> once or twice a year for structural faults. Mere formality, actually. They built much better for the dead than they did for the living in those days. Is this going to take long, because only we've got an awful lot to do? Bear with me, Mr Chadwick. I'm coming to the point. This is the key to the vault. The same key I've used for the past 18 years. Yesterday, it wouldn't fit the lock. What do you mean? The lock had been changed. Without your knowledge? Yes. When I examined it closely, I could see it was a brand new lock, but aged somehow to make it look like the old one. What's inside this vault? Stone coffins, human remains. Nothing worth pinching? No. But if you were stealing, you'd hardly fit a new lock. What's this got to do with poor old Harry Day's death? You said that was why you came here. You're looking for his killer. It occurred to me, Sergeant... What better hiding place for a man on the run than that old vault? Lock yourself in. No one would ever know. Thank you very much, Vicar. We'll follow it through. I'll leave the key. Thank you. Leave it to us. Mind how you go. Now I hope you don't think I've been wasting your time. Of course not. <laughs> now what's the use of the flaming key if it don't open the lock? Damned amateur detectives. Hairbrain theories. 
The geologist, Aldridge, did he have a car? If he did, I never saw it. He only came into the village a couple of times for supplies, camped out in a tent somewhere. Give me strength. A man has been murdered and you don't even know where he was living? You haven't even searched his tent? With the greatest possible respect, sir, yesterday we were investigating a road accident, not a murder. But if you want to find his tent, we'll go and look for it. Balbar! Sergeant, there it is. Come on, Mr. Chadwick, we've found the tent. Uh, Sergeant, there's somebody inside. What? Blaney, you're right. Could be the killer. Yeah. Yeah, Bowman, mm. quick. Circle around the back. Move in on my signal. Right. Uh, Mr. Chadwick. Yes? What do you want me? Now, over there. Approach him from the side. Wait for my signal. Right. Now! Stay away from me. First one to move gets it. Look out, he's got he's got a knife. Put it down, Joe. All right, everyone, relax. I know him, he's harmless. Harmless? With a carving knife? Give me the knife, Joe. Come on. That's better. Who is he? His name's Joe Hardy, a tramp, a cadger, a thief. Our 14 2 world And wars. a liar. Volunteered September 3rd, 39. Wouldn't take me cause of me chest. <laughs> Gas, World War One. You weren't even born then. What are you doing here? I've got to find somewhere to keep. I'm an old soldier hero. Got medals, pawned them to buy food. What sort of country treats its heroes like that, eh? You knew he was dead, so you pinched his tent. Ever so cold out in the moor at night, Sarge. I'm sure Mr. Aldridge, God rest his soul, wouldn't begrudge an old ex-service man mentioned in dispatches the use of his tent. Where's Aldridge's things? His belongings? Nothing here apart from the sleeping bag. It's all there was when I came, Sir Honest. I thought there might be a few scraps of food, some sustenance for an old soldier down his luck, but no. Damn all, that's what there was. Damn all. What's those, then? That, oh, just a couple of tins of stuff I've managed to acquire in me travels, sir. Emergency rations. All right, Joe, turn out your pockets. Hey? You heard. Oh, come on, haven't got all day. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, my God. God, what's that? My handkerchief. Don't look, Beaumont. It's too horrible. Hello, and what's this? Little trinket. Lady, give it me. You're a liar. Last time I saw it, it was on old Harry Day's dresser. That's where the food came from, wasn't it? And the knife. You pinched it from Harry Day's kitchen. Mr Day was dead. He had no use for it. How did you know he was dead? Saw his body. What? When was this? Early this morning. Still dark, it was too cold to sleep. Found him, face all smashed in. What about the girl? Was it you who covered her with the dressing gown? What girl? What, what, what dressing gown? I never touched nothing. Got the hell out of it, then I thought, poor Mr Day, he wouldn't begrudge an old soldier a few crumbs of comfort. So you went back to see what you could pinch? Ooh, proper mess it was. Broken crockery, furniture knocked about. Didn't like the feel of that place. Just grabbed a couple of things and ran. Take it in, Sergeant. Hold on, sir. Take a sniff at him. Go on, a good sniff. You think I want that in the police house? He killed that old man. Me? For a few trinkets and some food. Me? No, honestly, my life, I never touched him. I did all my killing in the war, sir. Top Nazi panzer troops are killed. Single-handed, face to face. Not by old men in the dark. I, I know who did kill him, though. Who? That bloke down the graveyard. The Lansing graveyard? Yeah, yeah, bloke down there. 
violent enough for anything he was. He'd kill. I could tell from his eyes. I was going to keep down there the other night. Wind cuts through these thin clothes cruelly. All right, all right, get on with it. Sometimes people give me warm clothes, Serge. Now, there's a coincidence. I'm about your size, Serge. Just get on with it. Well, when the wind's blowing, you get a bit of shoulder from the lee of that vault. Oh, what a way for a warrior, though, to exist, eh? Crashing down a lousy graveyard. Get to the point, Joe. I'm telling you, just good or fired when I'm kicking the ribs. Wakes me up. Oh, still flaming, feel it. I, I can show you the bruises. Uh, no, no, Anyway, thanks. there's this torch shining in my face and this bloke staring down at me. He says if I don't get the hell out of there, he'll smash me bleeding face in. Sounds like the vicar. No, it wasn't the vicar. Bigger than him. Tall, beefy bloke. Black balaclava helmet over his face. Did you recognise him again? No, but oh, he didn't half kick me. All right, Joe, now hop it. Quick, before we change our minds. Yes, Sarge. Thanks, Sarge. Can I... Can I take the beans? Yes, all right, go on. Oi, leave the knife. Okay, Sarge. Would you kindly remember, Sergeant, that I am in charge and that I, not you, say who is allowed to go and who isn't? Yes, sir. I don't believe a word you were saying. Not a damn word. But your next priority, Sergeant, must be to take a look inside that vault. That was part two of Outbreak of Fear by R.D. Wingfield, with Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. The rest of the cast. Dave Clark, Cornelius Garrett. Dr. Lethbridge, Paul Nicholson. Pete Carter, Derek Graham. Chadwick, Nicholas Courtney. Joe Hardy, John Gabriel. Miss Reed, Anne Morrish. The Vicar, Ronald Russell. And the radio DJ, Jim Reed. The programme was directed in Bristol by Brian Miller. Outbreak of Fear a thriller serial in five parts by R.D. Wingfield, with Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. Part 3, Triple Murder. I was hoping we'd be able to look in on the old graveyard while it was still light. I've got a thing about graveyards, but it was not to be. On our return to the station, two more angry fishermen awaited us to report someone had smashed their boats. It's a blasted epidemic. How many boats is it now? Um, eleven, Sarge. There can't be many more left. Well, so what we do about it? Mr Chadwick says we're to stick it on the pending file. we got more important things to worry about. By the time we typed up our reports and had a meal, it was close on ten o'clock. There was no moon. The graveyard was in darkness. Waste of time, Sarge. Old Joe Hardy's been on the maths again, if you ask me. Mr. Chadwick thinks it's important, therefore it is important, Constable. Blimey, these gates are enough to put the wind up anyone's sails. You don't look too happy, Beaumont. Where's that little roguish smile? Yeah, well, I've got a thing about graveyards, Sarge. Where's the vault? Right ahead of us. 
Yeah. Shall I knock, Sarge? Very funny. Shine your torch on the lock. You can see what the vicar meant. That's brand new. And damn strong. Here, reckon you can open it, Sarge. Never found one to beat me yet. Get your big head out the way, then. Where'd you get all those keys? Never you mind. I've acquired them over the years. Ah. Ah, this one's doing it. Well, give us a hand. I expect the hinges are rusty drop. Right. Someone's oiled the hinges. Well, who's going down first? It's as black as the ace of spades down there. You're all right. This torch don't throw out much light. There's another door. It won't be locked. God. He's dropped the torch. Stay there, Beaumont. We're coming. You all right? I saw a face. Where? There. Hellfire. But it wasn't a living face. The beam of Clark's torch picked out a grinning human skull perched on top of a coffin lid. It was yellow with age and discoloured with something that looked like blood. Flanking the skull were two obscenely shaped black candles. Devil worship. There's empty wine bottles all over the place. Hey, look at this, Sarge. <laughs> Part of the floor was strewn with items of underwear. Uh, female underwear. Flame-coloured. Some of it torn as if it had been ripped off in a frenzy of passion. Someone's been having an orgy. Now, why didn't I take up black magic? I never knew they got up to lags like this. <laughs> we'll be in the Sunday papers next. <laughs> <laughs> Put that torch out. <coughs> Coming this way. Yeah. Sounds like two of them. Either side of that door. When they're inside, grab them. No! Oh, no, you don't! You got him? Yeah. Yes, Sergeant. I mean, let's see who they are. Not in my eyes, Sergeant. Pete Carter and Eric Farrow. All right, you two. What's your game? Our game? What's your game, Sergeant? That's more to the point. We see lights flickering in the old graveyard. We think it might be this boat-wrecking maniac killer so we do our public duty and investigate and what happened we're assaulted by public servants what are you doing down here at this time of night anyway if you must know sergeant assuming it's any of your rotten business we've been having a little drinky in the pub we should be out in the boats fishing but our boats have been smashed up and the police do nothing about it we've a lot on our plates at the moment pete how's sarah shouldn't you be with her why there's been two deaths, Pete. Your house is all on its own out there, and you know how nervous she gets. Oh, Sarah will be all right. She's got a place locked, bolted and barred like a ruddy fortress. <laughs> and our dog will tear the throat out of anyone if she gives the word. It terrified that old oil geologist, geologist chap, it did. Aldridge? When did he call at your place? Day before yesterday. Wanted some water. <laughs> your dog didn't bite his eye out, did it? <laughs> of course it didn't. He was all right when he left our place. Intact. You won't be intact when Sarah knows you've been drinking. Now get back home and mind how you go. We haven't caught this bloke yet. Oh, he better not try anything on us. We're ready for it, aren't we, Pete? <laughs> You'll have to pick up the pieces, Sergeant. Come on, Eric. <laughs> Come on. Lock up. Let's go home. 
Sergeant Fowler! All right, all right, I'm coming. Who is it? It's me, Mitchell. Open up. It's half past two in the morning. Who have you got there? Mrs. Farrow. Help me with her. I'll take her feet. Now through here, on the settee. Switch on the light. Mrs. Farrow. Mrs. Farrow. What's up with her? She's out cold. I think she's in shock. Shock? She's not in shock. There's blood all over her. What do you do, knock her over as well? No! Hello, Doc. Yes, I do know the time. Can you pop across right away? I've got Eric Farrow's wife here. She's unconscious and bleeding badly. Ta. Right, Mr. Mitchell. What happened? It isn't her blood. There isn't a mark on her. Eh? You're right. It's on her coat. So what happened? Cigarette? No, thanks. I was driving back to my place in the van. At two o'clock in the morning. Yes, Sergeant, at two o'clock in the morning. As far as I know, there's no curfew in force. Okay, go on. I was on the coast road, just passing Lansing Cove when I saw her. Smack in the middle of the road. In the middle of the road. Swaying as if she was about to collapse. I just managed to catch her before she fell. She kept muttering something about police. Must get to the police. Then she passed out. Then what? I got her into the van and brought her straight here. That's it. Nothing more I can tell you. You can tell me what you were doing out at two o'clock in the morning. Whatever I was doing, Sergeant, is my business and no concern of yours. Now, if it's all right with you, I'm tired. And I want to go home. Certainly, sir. Thank you for your cooperation. Perhaps you'd cooperate further and let the doctor in on your way out. And good night. Oh, doctor, there's Fowl in there. He wants to see you. Vamos! Vamos! Get dressed and come down here, now! Oh, what's all the yelling? Oh, why should he sleep through all this? There's your patient, Doc. Seems to be out cold. Mm. How did she get here? She was staggering along the coast road. Mitchell spotted her. What was he doing out at that time of the morning? Apparently, that's none of my business. I'd love to know. This isn't her blood. Yes, we worked that out. It's all over her coat. Aha! Uh -huh. What kept you? Do you know what time it is? No, Beaumont, that's why I woke you up, so you could tell me. Who's this? Mrs. Farrow, Eric Farrow's wife. Any chance of bringing her round, Doc? Mm. We've got to find out what's happened. Mrs. Farrow? <gasps> Mrs. Farrow? No, 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 it's all right. Take it easy. Oh, please. Oh, yes, please. Mrs. Farrow, this is Sergeant Fowler. You're at the police house. Now, what happened? Blood. It was blood. He's dead. Do you hear me? He's dead. Who's dead, Mrs. Farrow? Straight to the Farrow place then, Sarge. Where else? Oh, I thought you might want to pick up Mr. Chadwick first. Chadwick? I've had all of him I can take for one day. Thank you very much. Car coming, Sarge. I think that's Chadwick. What's he doing out at this time of night? Hello, sir. Bit late for you to be out, isn't it? We don't work office hours in the CID, Sergeant. Where do you think you're going? Ah, we uh, we were just on our way to the pub to collect you, sir, actually. 
Oh, what's the problem? Oh, nothing we can't handle, sir, if you'd rather go to bed. Woman called Farrow in hysterics. Can't get any sense out of her. We're worried that something might have happened to her husband. Where do they live? Hoo-hoo, some way out. Right. You lead, I'll follow. Aye, aye, skipper. All right, Clarky, put your foot down, see if you can't lose him, eh? You heard, lose him, loudmouth fool. Leave the high-speed stuff to Sterling Moss next time, Constable. You nearly lost me back there. Sorry, sir. I told you to slow down, Constable. Yes, Sergeant. Oh, it's freezing. How can people live in these godforsaken places? Anybody in? It's locked. Someone try the back. I've tried it, her locked and bolted. All right, Constable. Kick it in. Right, sir. Ah, done it. As the front door swung back, we braced ourselves for what we might see inside. We saw a cosy little room lit by the flames of a coal fire. By the curtain window, covered with a blue and white cloth, the table was laid for one. There was no blood. There was no body. There was no Eric Farrow. Nothing upstairs, Sarge. And nothing down here. You overreacted, Sergeant. We can sum up this little excursion as a wild goose chase. You didn't see her, Mr Chadwick. She was hysterical. Her husband's late coming in. So she panicked, that's all. Then where is her husband? We saw him at half past ten. It's now nearly three. Probably sleeping it off somewhere. You told me he was drunk. And a blood on her coat? I don't know. But it didn't come from here, did it? There's a note on the table, Sergeant. Eh? Give it here. Let me have it, please, Constable. Thank you. Eric, worried because you're not back, I'm walking over to Mrs. Carter's in case you're there. Joan. How do we get to the Carter's place, Sergeant? Pete Carter's house was about a quarter of an hour's walk away, perched high on the clifftop. No light showed. There was no sound. I was reminded of that old western where, uh, just before the Indian attack, someone says, It's quiet. <laughs> and the seasoned Indian hunter says, Too damn quiet. Yeah, well, Carter's house was too damn quiet. Notice anything, George? What? The silence. Shouldn't be able to get near here without that dog barking its head off. Shh. What is it? Listen. There's something on that bush. Hello, boy. What have they done to you? What is it? Their dog, sir. It's been knifed. Leave it. Let's get in that house. No need to kick this one in. It's open. Hello? Pete? Sarah? Anyone up? Oh, my God! And then the horror started. The hall looked like a slaughterhouse. Blood on the walls, the door, the carpet. I saw the blood before I saw the body. Pete Carter slumped against the wall, his legs sprawled out in front of him. The front of his jacket was sodden with blood. The head was almost severed. Been dead at least three hours, uh, possibly a little longer. Multiple stab wounds to the chest, stomach, neck. Weapon? Long bladed knife, uh, single edge, coming to a point, uh, a butcher's knife or a 
Carbine knife. This is on the floor, Sergeant. Address me, Constable, not the Sergeant. And don't touch anything. Leave it where it is and draw my attention to it. What is it? Uh, Mrs Farrow's handbag. She must have dropped it. Poor cow. She comes here looking for her husband, pushes open the front door and comes face to face with that. Can't we cover him up, Doctor? Not yet. I was talking to him barely four hours ago. Where's his wife? Where's his friend? Search the house, Sergeant. The garden, the outbuildings, everywhere. There was no one else in the house. Every door and every window was tightly locked. No sign of forced entry. Sarah Carter was a nervous woman, but she must have let the killer in the house through the front door. We finished in the kitchen. It was a mess. Table on its side, chairs knocked over, smashed crockery. We'd seen all this before. And then Clark called from the garden. Over here, the well! She's down there! Mrs Carter! If someone could lower me down... The beam of his torch dropped into the darkness and reflected back something under the water. Something white. A woman's face. Steady. Steady. All right. I got her. Oh, don't just stand there, Beaumont. Help me. Is there any point in trying artificial respiration, Doctor? No, Constable. No point at all. Would someone give me some light? Thank you. Uh, I've known the Carters for over 20 years. Sarah. Anyone in trouble, just ask Sarah. She'd help them. When Phyllis was sick, how did she die, Doctor? No obvious wounds, every indication that she drowned. Hello. What's this on her forehead? It's a bruise. We might have knocked her head when we were winching her up. No, this is a bruise. We don't bruise after death. Looks as if someone hit her. She got a banged her head as she fell. Hell, how could she fall with that brick wall in the way? No, Doc, she was hit and chucked down. Or she jumped in herself. Jumped? You mean suicide? No. No. Ortridge was so anxious to escape his pursuer, he plunged through thorn thickets that tore out his eye. Harry Day ran on bare, bleeding feet until his heart gave out, and Sarah held herself down a well. To get away from the killer. You're making him out to be some kind of monster. Perhaps. And yet she opened the door to let him in. Oh, I don't know. It's... Pointless speculating. We haven't enough facts. I'll be able to tell more when I've carried out the post-mortem. Sergeant. Sir. Bring the doctor. I think I've found Barrow. Chadwick was standing by the open door of a wooden shed. As we hurried over, the sergeant's torch picked out drops of something red on the grass. A trail leading from the front of the house to the shed. Inside. Forgive me, I feel rather sick. The body of Eric Farrow lay face down in a pool of his own blood. There was a gaping wound in his neck and a small, blood-stained stab mark in his back. A strange streak of red discoloured his hair. Has anyone got a cigarette? Here. I think I'd be used to death by now. Three. Three of them. Let's get on with it, shall we, Doctor? Yes. Yes, of course. What's the matter with your hand? Hmm? No, I tore it on a nail. Nothing serious. 
It is Alec Farrow, I presume? Yes. How long has he been dead? About an hour and a half. He was stabbed after the others? No, he was stabbed about the same time as Carter. He just took longer to die. Huh. I presume he found Carter's body. He was bending over it when the killer plunged the knife into his neck. He fell to the ground and the killer drove the knife deep into his back, leaning his full weight on it to drive it home. Right, yeah. But Pharaoh wasn't dead, only dying. He crawled from the house over to this shed, the knife still in his back. Uh, that would explain it. Well, when he reached the shed, he collapsed. When he was dead, the killer returned. All he had to do was follow the trail of blood. He retrieved the knife and departed. You're painting a very vivid picture, Doctor. Almost as if you were here when it happened. I'm a pathologist, Mr Chadwick, trained to use my eyes. The blood has come from the neck wound, but that didn't kill him. The knife in his back did that. How do you know Farrow was dead when the killer removed the knife? If he was still alive, blood would have poured from that wound when the blade came out, but it didn't, so he was dead. Examine the wound. See how tightly the blade must have fitted. Thank you, Doctor. I'll take your word for it. What's that streak of red on the hair? Head injury? No. It would seem that our killer is rather fastidious. When he removed the knife, there was blood on the blade... So he carefully wiped it clean on his victim's hair. Mr. Chadwick, can I have a word in private, please? Outside. Well, Sergeant? I don't give a damn how many people go down with rapists in Norriston. These are my people. We need outside help and we want it now. I'm going to get this bastard before he butchers anyone else. Get me some more men. Sir. Sir. I've already explained. I've tried. There's no chance. We're out of our depth and we don't know what the hell we're doing and people are being killed. I know exactly what I'm doing, Sergeant Fowler. I'm giving the orders and you are required to obey them. And never speak to me in that tone of voice again. This is bloody hopeless, Sarge. Find a murder knife in the dark? It'll be anywhere. Flaming killer's probably still going on him anyhow, ready for his neck. How much longer are we supposed to look, Sergeant? Till we find it, Mr Chadwick said. And where is he? Huh? Very good at giving stupid orders. Not very good at helping carry him out, is he? Coming, Sarge. Any luck? Not yet, sir. Ah. Finish, Doctor? There's nothing else I can do here. I'm getting back to see how Mrs Farrow is. I tried to get through on Carter's phone, but it seems to be out of order. We seem to be having lots of trouble with phones and boats. I'd better come with you, Doc. I suppose I'll have to break the news to poor Joan Farrow. Unless... Unless, as senior officer, you would like to do it, sir. No, Sergeant, as you are constantly reminding me they're your people. We'll go back in my car. How do we get the bodies to the mortuary? We'll collect the pickup truck and come back. Clark? Beaumont? You stay here and keep watch. They drove off leaving us alone in that awful house, with its bloodstains and chalked outlines, and the three sheeted bodies, hands and heads carefully bagged in polythene, laid side by side on the floor of the parlour, a cold, musty room that was only used on special occasions. We shut the door and turned the key in the lock. <laughs> For some reason it made us feel safer. Have you noticed how loudly clocks seem to tick when there's someone dead in the house? I've never been in a house where there's been someone dead before. 
I, I can't stand it in here. Can we go outside? Here, come on. Better? Yeah. What do you think of Chadwick, then? Don't like him, but he seems efficient. There's something funny about him. Something's not quite right. You know he had that blood on his hand and said he caught it on a nail? Yeah. A bit later, he wiped it clean with his handkerchief. The one to scratch on his hand. So he put his hand on some of the blood there was enough of it about. Fair enough. So why'd you say he caught it on a nail? <sighs> I don't know. I'm too tired to think. We're high up here, aren't we? That's Lansing Cove down there, isn't it? And there's the graveyard. Oh, you're learning your way around fast, young Beaumont. <sighs> what do you think of Sally, then? She's bloody awful. <laughs> oh, you're too fussy. You have to grab what you can get round here. Hey. What's the matter? I keep getting the feeling someone's watching us. You stare at that bush over there long enough, you can swear it's moving. Mm, I kept hearing sounds coming from the room where the bodies are. You get all sorts of strange noises at night. I'm sure that bloody bush is moving. Well, take a look. Yeah, all right. Well? Nothing there. Fine pair we are. Scaring the living daylights out of each other. Over there, what's that? Someone's lit a bonfire. At this time of night? Well, that's too big for a bonfire. It's Harry Day's place. It's on fire. Here, you wait here. I'll drive over and take a look. Oh, no, no. There's no way you're leaving me here on my own. I'm coming with you. Not too close. Shouldn't we radio through for the fire brigade? No point. By the time they get here from Norriston, there wouldn't be anything left. We'll have to let it burn itself out. You know where you're going. Hey, over here. Hey, keep away from that door. It's ready to go up any second. No, no, quick. S smell this. Paraffin. Get soaked in it. Which means this wasn't an accident. You'd better let the sergeant know. But get back first. Clark Sergeant Fowler, Clark Sergeant Fowler, come in, please. What's that? Oh, I don't know. Sounds like someone talking through a scrambler. Second time I've picked that up today. Could it be the troops out looking for those convicts? Yeah, it could be. Sounds a lot nearer than that, though. Clark Sergeant Fowler, come in, please. Fowler, yeah. Come in, Clark. I'm at Harry Day's place, Sarge. Or what's left of it. It's on fire and it stinks of paraffin. Paraffin? Any point in calling the brigade? None. Half the roof gone. Murder, black magic and now arson. What's happening to this place? Well, nothing you can do, Clarky. Better get back to young Beaumont. He shouldn't be left on his own too long at the Carter place. He's not at the Carter place, Sarge. He's here with... What the hell is that? No idea. It keeps happening. What was you saying about Beaumont? I missed it. I said he's here, with me. You've left the Carter place unattended? What the hell do you think you're playing at, cowboys and Indians? Get back there pronto, over and bloody well out. I think he wants us to make a move. Hey, what's that? It came from that corrugated iron outhouse. There's someone in there. Are you sure? That's where the noise came from. Right. We'll go in together. Whoever it is, if he's got a knife, hit first and ask questions later. Ready? Yeah. Now. Oh, no, not you again. Leave me alone. Leave me alone.
Now listen, Joe, it's late. I have been up since two o'clock. I'm irritable and nothing has gone flaming right, so I'm in no mood to be mucked about. Why did you set fire to that place? Nothing to say. I'll hit him! So help me, I'll hit him! Police brutality. Chubby Kapala. Chubby Kapala, come in, please. Shut up, Joe. Bloody Chadwick. I'd forgotten all about him. Sergeant Fowler, over. Just what sort of a cockeyed outfit do you think you're running here, Fowler? I never knew such ham-fisted incompetence. Where are you speaking from, sir? Over. He's found out you're not at the Carter House. I'm at the Carter House, Sergeant. Doors wide open. Bodies, important evidence, all accessible and not a police officer in sight. I want an explanation. What's that? Who are you? Keep away from me! That was part three of Outbreak of Fear by R.D. Wingfield, with Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. The rest of the cast, Dave Clark, Cornelius Garrett, Chadwick, Nicholas Courtney, Dr. Lethbridge, Paul Nicholson, Pete Carter, Derek Graham, Mitchell, Conrad Phillips, Joe Hardy, John Gabriel, Eric Farrow, Malcolm Young, and Mrs. Farrow, Rosemary Siegel. The programme was directed in Bristol by Brian Miller. Carter House, Sergeant. Doors wide open, bodies, important evidence, all accessible and not a police officer in sight. I want an explanation. What's that? Who are you? Keep away from me! Oh. Outbreak of Fear. A thriller serial in five parts by R.D. Wingfield, with Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. Part 4, The Vault. lump on his head. He's been kosh. Beaumont, yeah. wet towel or something. Right, Sarge. There's no justice, Clarky. Pete Carter and Eric Farrow get knifed. All he gets is a clout round the head. Yeah, it won't half hurt him tomorrow, though, Sarge. Yeah, there is that, I suppose. It's not too wet, is it, Sarge? Oh, no, that's lovely. Give it your... Uh, Mr Chadwick. Mr Chadwick. Uh, what? Easy, sir. Don't move your head. Uh, oh, I did warn you. Oh, what happened? Can't remember. You've been coshed. Hold this to your head. Careful! Oh. There's no one here. No police. No one. I radioed you. I remember doing that. That's right. I heard something. Someone was standing in that doorway. Where the bodies are? Yes. Clarky, take a look. Oh. All right, Sarge. He had some sort of balaclava helmet on. 
All I could see was his eyes. And that's it. Somebody hit me. Next thing I knew, you were here. Nothing seems to have been disturbed, Sergeant. It's all exactly as we left it. Must have ducked inside to hide when he heard Mr Chadwick. But how did he get in in the first place? It was supposed to be a police guard. There was a fire, sir. Fire? Help me up, will you? Yeah. <coughs> Careful. Uh, all right, I can manage. Where was this fire? Harry Day's shack. He was the old boy we found dead on the moor yesterday. Because I know who Harry Day is. Tell me about the fire. We told him about the fire, the paraffin, the old tramp. Joe Hardy. That old tramp again. I told you we should never have let him go, Sergeant. Where is he now? Locked up in the station, sir. And let's see what he's got to say for himself. You set fire to that cottage, you can't deny it. I can smell smoke and paraffin on your clothes. A welcome change from your usual stink. Your hands burnt. You were found hiding from the police. The jury wouldn't even have to retire. You did it. And all I want to know is why. Well, I, I broke in there, Sergeant. Don't deny that. All I wanted was a roof over me head and a real bed to sleep in. Is that too much for an old soldier to ask? See ya. Oh, plenty of sugar in mine, please, officer. Who said you was having any? This is a police station, not a Dosser's tea house. Oh, all right, go on. Ta. Blimey, I knew it was a mistake. Now, come on, Joe, finish this fairy story. Any biscuits? Yeah, but you're not having any. Bad enough having to hear you drink without having you spit biscuit crumbs in my face. Now finish the flaming story. Oh, I was asleep in that little room at the back. Oh, like heaven it was. Soft mattress, clean sheets. Lucky I kept my boots on, because something woke me up. I could smell smoke. The old place was burning round me. Smoke was so thick I couldn't get to the door. I had to smash a window in and get out that way. Which window? Little one at the back. It was broken, Sarge. Glass on the outside. I flung myself on the ground and my clothes was on fire. Then I quickly legged it over to that shed place before he spotted I was out and he hadn't burnt me alive. Who are you talking about? You'll give me a biscuit, won't you, sir? Who are you talking about? The bloke that burnt the place down. That's who I'm talking about. You saw him? Did you recognise him? Can you describe him? No. Now, he had his back to me. I, I just spotted him climbing into his van. Joe, can you describe the van? Yeah. Dark blue. Bit battered. Wing miller missing. Mitchell. It was Mitchell. His van, anyway. Don't quibble, Sergeant. It was Mitchell who burnt down that cottage. Must we have that disgusting noise? Come so, on, take him over to the doctor's, get his hand dressed, then come straight back. Come on, Joe. Can I have a biscuit now? Take the packet. Oh, thank you, Sarge. Thank you, you're a gentleman, Sarge. Turn down here. That's right. Why did Mitchell burn it down, sir? Well, I thought that was obvious. He wanted to get back inside Carter's house, but our men were on guard. So he lured them away, burnt down Day's old shack. As soon as Clark and Beaumont deserted their post, Mitchell nipped back in for whatever it was he was after. And what might that be, sir? The murder knife, perhaps? You're not saying he's our killer. Anyway, the knife wasn't in the house. We looked. I'm suggesting you didn't look thoroughly enough. There's one thing I am certain of. It was Mitchell who coshed me. You said you couldn't see his face. It was Mitchell. I'll take an oath on it. He's our killer. Bring him in, Sergeant. Now. You know the drill. I keep him talking, you slip off and have a nose around. All right. What's your game? You won't need the poker, Mr. Mitchell. Sergeant Fowler. I'm sorry, but with this maniac on the loose, I couldn't afford to take chances. 
Already had someone break into my boathouse and smash the hull of my motorboat. Sorry to hear about that, sir. It's not what we've called about, actually. Then what the hell do you want? It's five o'clock in the morning. You dragged me out of bed. Is that woman all right? Mrs. Farrow? Perfectly all right, thank you. But her husband was murdered. How terrible. That's where the blood came from. But I don't see how I can help. We believe you know the killer, sir. We have information that he was seen entering your house. That's impossible. Very likely, sir. But we have to follow up all leads, no matter how improbable. Do you think we might come in and take a look around? In here. Thank you, sir. On your way, Clacky. Look. All the doors and windows are fitted with security alarms. There's no way he could have got in. Just check them, would you, Beaumont? Right, sir. You mind if I sit down, sir? It's been one hell of a night. Yes, yes, of course. Oh, thank you. All alone in the house, Mr. Mitchell? Yes. Where's the other constable? Having a quick look round, just in case. Your uh, lady companion not here? No, she returned to London yesterday. Just as well, sir. This isn't a very healthy spot at the moment. What time did you go to bed? Bed? Let me see, about quarter past three, I suppose. I left Mrs. Farrow with you, then came straight back here. And you haven't been out since? Of course not. Oh, will you be much longer? Sarge. Oh, uh, excuse me, sir. What you got? Found this in the hall. Bring it in. Is uh, this your jacket, sir? No. I think it must be, sir. It was hanging on your hall stand. It's even got your name on the inside pocket. Then it must be mine. What have you done to it, sir? It reeks of smoke and paraffin. Nasty burn on the sleeve. Expensive jacket, too. I lit a bonfire in the garden. Perhaps you'd like to show us where. Well, not now. It's late. I'm tired. Come back tomorrow. There's no bonfire to show us, is there, sir? The fire was at Harry Day's cottage. Was it? News to me. Anybody want a drink? You were seen, Mr. Mitchell. We have a witness. He identified you. He identified your van. He even took the registration number. Who is this witness? His name's Joe Hardy. He was inside the cottage. You had a damn good go at burning him alive. It was empty. No, sir, it wasn't. I had no idea. If I had known, I thought it was empty. It was an eyesore, a tumbled-down eyesore. I'll pay for any damage. There's nothing left of it. All right, then I'll pay the full market value of the cottage. Who owns it? His daughter, isn't it? I'll see her first thing in the morning. Whatever she wants for it, I'll pay. Don't worry. She won't have anything to complain about. You can't buy your way out of murder, Mr. Mitchell. Murder? What are you talking about? Pete Carter, Sarah Carter, Eric Farrow. Oh, no, Sergeant, you're not putting that on me. I'm not answering any more questions unless my solicitor is present. Then I suggest you contact him right away, sir. Tell him the charge is murder. What's up with this phone? Give it, yeah. Dead. Must be a line down somewhere. You can phone from the station. I am charging you with the murder of Peter Carter, his wife Sarah Carter, and Eric Farrow. You are not obliged to say anything, but anything you do say will be taken down and may be used in evidence. The fire, yes, the killings, no. Whoever stabbed those people will be covered in blood. Look at that jacket. Search the house. Examine my clothes. You won't find one drop of blood. How did you know they were stabbed? The sergeant said... You said they were stabbed. No, sir. I said they were killed. You said they were stabbed. Now, how did you know that?
Dave Clark took Mitchell to the station while the sergeant and I went over that house with the proverbial fine tooth comb. Everything in this house is brand spanking new. Nothing from his past, no letters, old photographs. What's through there? His kitchen. Blimey. The gadgets is like something out of Star Wars. Let's have a look. How many deep freezers does one man want? There's one, two, three, four. You'd better check them for bodies. You're right, Sarge. Only joking, Beaumont. There's about a thousand quids worth of steak in this one. Yeah, this one's full of chicken and salmon, rainbow trout. What we got for dinner tomorrow? Sausages. You weren't here, I'd nick something. Hey, this is full of carving knives. Bag them for forensic. I very much doubt he's sticking the murder weapon back in his cutlery drawer, but you never know your luck. What's through here? It led to the garage in the famous blue van. The van's rear doors were locked, but the sergeant had his bunch of keys with him. Inside was a deflated rubber dinghy and two paddles. Ah, still Wayne. He's been busy tonight, hasn't he? Kills three people, burns a cottage down, belts Chadwick and goes for a row in the sea. Nothing's making much sense. Let's try upstairs. There were four double bedrooms, three of them apparently awaiting the casual visitor who arrived without luggage. Wardrobes and drawers crammed with brand new items of clothing in various sizes, pyjamas and nightdresses still in their original wrapping. The fourth, the master bedroom, contained a massive circular bed with silk sheets. On one of the pillows, the briefest nightdress I'd ever seen, and the heady erotic whisper of a very expensive French perfume. Cool. Get enough of that. It's that stuff they use to get pigs to mate. Good job Clark is not here, he'd go berserk. That girl Kim was wearing it yesterday. About all she was wearing. No wonder he eats a lot of meat. <laughs> you see what I found here? Another mystery solved. Flame-coloured, sexy underwear. That's the same as we found in the vault. So it wasn't the vicar cavorting nude amongst the stone coffins. It was Mitchell and his fancy piece. I'll say one thing for him, he keeps himself occupied. There's nothing else here. Let's get back to the station. I'd better let Clarkie know we're on our way. Fowler to Clark. Come in, please. Oh, no, not that again. Fowler to Clark. Useless. What are you looking pensive about? Feeling a bit bitter, Sarge. Most of my courting's been done in the backseat of a Mini. Mitchell's got that warm bedroom, circular bed, that cracking blonde. Yet he goes and has it off in a drafty vault with airwigs and spiders crawling God knows where. Stop the car! What is it? We're bloody fools. He'd never take a bird to that vault. He likes his comfort too much. You've only got to take one look at his house to realise that. Yeah, but if he's dabbling in black magic... Black magic, a skull and a couple of candles? That was a blind, a cover. Anyone poking their noses in the vault to find out what all the comings and goings were about would say, Oh, a naughty black magic orgy. And wouldn't look much closer. 
We didn't, did we? We didn't search the place. Well, then what else could it be used for? That's exactly what we're going to find out. What? Now, Sarge? Yes, now. Time, is it? Just gone six o'clock. <sighs> Nearly time to get up. This is going to be a thorough search for them. We're not going to miss a thing. <laughs> Smell that? Cigarette smoke. Someone's been in here since we had. They might still be down there. Be careful. It was damn hard work. Stone coffins weren't meant to be moved, and at the far end of the vault they were stacked four high. Each one had to be lifted down and the lid removed. <clears throat> Torch. Not in my eyes, in the coffin. Bone sides. One complete set. Right. Let's get the next one down. And mind my flaming finger. We found the stuff in the bottom two coffins. They were each crammed tight with dark brown sealed polythene packets. Fowler slit one open with his knife. Cannabis. Top quality stuff. You're looking at a small fortune, Beaumont. No, not a small fortune, a damn big one. Do you know how much this little lot would be worth on the open drug market? A hundred thousand. You're miles out, nearly a million quid. And this is just one consignment. Lord knows how many others there's been. How'd they get it here? Same way the old brandy smugglers got their stuff in. Row out to the shipping lane, that was the rubber dinghy. Take it off the ship and row it back here. It was tailor-made for it. Yeah. Things are beginning to make sense now. With a million pounds at stake, life becomes cheap. Anyone standing in your way, kill them. How was Pete Carter, his wife, Eric Farrow, standing in his way? I expect they saw too much. Carter's house overlooks the cove. And he didn't want two cops looking down on him either. That's why he drew us away with that cottage fire. But why did he kill Aldridge and old Harry Day? I don't know, but he's going to tell us. Five people killed for this muck. Let's talk to Mitchell. Ah, home sweet home. I could even drink a cup of your tea, Bowman. That's how desperate I am. Clarky? Clarky? He's not here. Well, his car's outside, and he wouldn't leave Mitchell on his own. Clarky! Clarky! Oh, my God! Give me a hand with him, quick! Hold it there. Don't let us have any sudden moves. Mitchell! Please don't do anything silly, Sergeant. It's a real gun, and it's loaded. I'd hate to have to prove it to you. This is very silly, Mr. Mitchell. Not one more step. I'm already supposed to have killed three people tonight, so what's an extra village policeman or two? Constable Clark isn't badly hurt. A little tap on the head, that's all. Would you please drag him into that cell? Shall I shoot young Beaumont in the leg as a token of good faith? Do what he says, Beaumont. All right, Clarky. It's all right. Now what? Don't come out. I'm going to lock you in. Throw me your car keys. Quickly! As the sergeant fumbled in his pocket for the keys, 
My eye was caught by the door behind Mitchell. The handle moved slightly and began to turn. I pulled my gaze away and held my breath. There. Thank you. Sorry to do this. I appreciate how humiliating it must be. I'm sure someone will let you out. Eventually. Drop the gun. Then turn round very slowly. What the? You've killed him. Mitchell wasn't dead. But from the look of him, it was only a matter of time. We got him over to the surgery and then returned to the police house and slumped down in chairs to await the doctor's verdict. Chadwick alone seemed to be in high spirits. Good job I turned up when I did, eh, Sergeant? He'd got clean away. How's the head, Clark? Throbbing. My teeth ache. But it'll pass. You're damn careless, Constable. How's your head, sir? Not too bad, thank you. Good. Tell me something, sir. How was it you so conveniently happened to be carrying a gun? I always carry one, Sergeant. I have special authority. And does this special authority also give you the right to shoot and kill? If necessary. Was it necessary? You didn't even give him a chance to drop his gun. I was aiming for his arm. I intended to wing him. He moved. I didn't see him move. He was bringing his gun up to fire at me. You wouldn't have seen. He had his back to you. My conscience is clear, Sergeant. We've got our killer. If he dies, we've saved the county the expense of a trial. What did you do with his gun? Locked it away in the safe. You'd better let me have the key. It'll be quite safe, sir, I promise you. Nevertheless, I'd like the key. Thank you. Can I ask you a question, sir? If Mitchell had a gun, why'd he go around stabbing people, smashing their faces in? He's a sadist. It's more fun, slashing, stabbing, watching your victim's face. Ah, the good doctor. How's your patient? Critical. We've got to get him to hospital. Is your phone working, Sergeant? Mine seems to be dead. Mm, sounds all right. Get the hospital for him, would you, Clarky? Take a seat, Doc. You look worn out. You look like walking wounded yourself. Morriston Hospital. Paulford Police here. I have a call for you. Here, I've got the hospital, Doc. Thank you. Hello, this is Dr Lethbridge. Yes, Doctor. How can I help you? You're not the usual night operator. I'm the relief. George is off sick. I see. Can you get an ambulance to Polford right away? It's an emergency. Sorry, Doctor. The police aren't letting anything through because of this rabies outbreak. But this is an emergency. I have a patient requiring an immediate operation. Then there's no way we can help, Doctor. All surgical wards have been closed. Serious cross-infection. Damn! I'd better speak to the duty medical officer. Again, I'm sorry, Doctor. He's not available for calls. Not available? Doctor, it's chaos down here. We're inundated with rabies cases. I'll leave a message and try to get him to phone you later. Oh, sorry, the other line. Problems, Doctor? All surgical wards closed because of cross-infection and the police aren't letting any ambulances through. Couldn't we get a helicopter in, fly him to Trefley Hospital? Uh, it's too far. The journey would kill him. I'll just have to do the best I can. He's in good hands, Doctor. What were you aiming for, Mr Chadwick? His heart? Because if so, you're a damn good shot. The night had slipped past and it was now morning. All we wanted to do was sleep. But there was one final chore before we could think of bed. The cannabis in the vault had to be brought back to the station and locked up safely in one of the cells. We all had to work like beavers. <laughs> I say all, 
but Chadwick didn't join us. He seemed strangely disinterested in our hall. <coughs> Where's Mr Chadwick then, Sarge? He wandered oh. off on his own, just in case he should be asked to help on the manual side. Here, what was that key you gave him? That was never the safe key. Yeah. It opens the stationery cupboard. <laughs> Yeah, what's that? The card is from Derek Farrow. Oh, Muse must have got around. Any more, Beaumont? Ah, uh, this is the lot, Sarge. Good. <sighs> then let's see if we can remember what a bed looks like. So you both in the pub tonight? What for? Well, we solve the killings, we smash the drug ring, let's celebrate. We've got nothing to celebrate, thank you very much. People have died. Yes, Sarge. Yeah, you'll be there, won't you, Beaumont? The pub was crowded. We had caught the killer and everyone was happy. We were the heroes. People kept sending us over drinks. Then I noticed Sergeant Fowler signalling from the door. Hey, we're having a great time, Sarge. Come over and join us. Sander over and get clacky. I'll meet you outside. Oh, Sarge! Do as your damn well told! Rose, we won't be long. Blimey, Sarge, didn't we deserve a break? What the hell is it now? Keep your voice down. There's been another killing. What? Miss Reed. Oh, no. Albert, over here a minute. I'm not going back there, Sergeant. No one's sending you back. Tell the constables what you told me. I called at Miss Reed's place to drop her shopping in. I always pick it up for her. She gives me a cup of tea. Anyway, I knocked. No reply. No lights on, no smoke coming from the chimney, not like her at all. I walked round the back. I knew something was wrong as soon as I saw the bedroom window. It was smashed in. I took a quick look inside. Come on, Albert. Tell them what you saw. I saw Miss Reed on the floor, hardly anything on. Her face was covered in blood. Did you go inside? No, I... Well, she might still have been alive. No. You wait till you see her face. She was dead. Okay, Albert. You get off home. There's the doctor. Now, come on, I'm sorry to break up the celebration, but perhaps it might have been a trifle premature. Miss Reed had been getting ready for bed, undressing slowly in front of her uncurtained window. She had this obsession about men lusting after her naked body. There were now four men staring down at her. No one would lust after her now. Shotgun. Fired from outside. The barrel smashed the window, then blasted her in the face. Time of death? Between 10 and 12 o'clock last night. Car outside, Sarge. Chief Superintendent. Where's he sprung from? I was looking for him. Let him in, Beaumont. Right, Sarge. Can't we, uh, can't we cover her up, Doc? It doesn't seem decent. The body, not the face. Take a sheet from the bed, Clarky. Right. There you are, Sergeant. I was on my way to the station for you. I saw the cop. Oh, God. When did this happen? Last night. Not discovered until today. Well, there's another one. What? A 
was why I was looking for you, Sergeant. You'd all better come with me. There's been another killing. That was part four of Outbreak of Fear by R.D. Wingfield, with Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. The rest of the cast, Dave Clark, Cornelius Garrett, Dr. Lethbridge, Paul Nicholson, Chadwick, Nicholas Courtney, Mitchell, Conrad Phillips, Joe Hardy, John Gabriel, Albert, Douglas Leach, and the operator, Brian Gear. The programme was directed in Bristol by Brian Miller. Outbreak of Fear, a thriller serial in five parts by R.D. Wingfield, with Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. Part 5, The Killer. Doc, it's Doug Hemmings. So you shot the wrong man last night, Mr. Chadwick. Examine him, please, Doctor. Leave the recriminations for later. Oh, I need more light. Uh, Beaumont? Shine your torch on him, please. My torch lit up the face of a man in his late fifties. The skin leathery and tan, the eyes wide open. Then I saw his throat. The underside of his jaw, a hole. A gaping hole. Can't you hold it steady, Constable? Sorry. Shotgun. Point-blank range. The barrel would have been touching the throat when the trigger was pulled. You mean the gun was pointing upwards under his chin? Yes. Way people usually commit suicide with a shotgun. Are you saying this is suicide? No, but if the gun had been found alongside the body, I'd have said suicide without a doubt. The killer made him stand, stuck the gun under his chin, and pulled the trigger? A sadist, Sergeant. Well, one thing's certain. Whoever this sadistic killer is, it can't be Mitchell. Can't it? You haven't told us the time of death, Doctor. Twelve last night, about the same time as Miss Reed. Which doesn't get Mitchell off the hook, Sergeant. He could still have done it. Must have been bloody busy last night, then. Smuggling cannabis, killing three people, burning a cottage. Now you're seeing he also polished off a couple more with a shotgun. I'm sorry, Mr Chadwick, it just doesn't make sense. We've already established this is the work of a maniac, so why are you looking for sense? Well, you two, I know it's dark, but if that shotgun's anywhere near, I want it. Sir, come on, Roy. How did you know the body was here, Mr. Chadwick? A chance, Doctor. Be a chance. I left the car and was stretching my legs. I nearly tripped over him. Hey, over here. You found the shotgun. Careful, there could be fingerprints. All right, let me have it. All right. Blood and tissue on the muzzle. No attempt to wipe it clean. Dust it for prints. Yes, sir. Stock's been wiped clean. Here. Notice the initials on the barrel, Sarge. D.H. Douglas Hemmings. He was killed with his own gun. In here. He's been asking for you. How is he? Ah, uh, not good. Sergeant, where are you? I'm here. Come closer. Got to talk to you. I'm listening, sir. I didn't kill those people, Sergeant. Didn't kill them. Drugs, yes. 
Burnt the shack down, yes. Had to tore the chaps away. Never killed. There were two more deaths last night, Mr. Mitchell. Miss Reed and Doug Hemmings blasted with a shotgun. Am I supposed to have done that as well? Not by style, Sergeant. Not by style at all. He did for me, didn't he? That swine, Saunderson, really did for me. Saunderson? It's no accident. He shot to kill. Mr. Mitchell, who's Saunderson? Calls himself Chadwick. Chief Superintendent Chadwick. He's a fake sergeant. His name's Saunderson. Never been a policeman in his life. Then who is he, Mr. Mitchell? Mr. Mitchell, who is he? Save your breath, George. He won't be answering any more questions. You want me, Sarge? Yeah, come in, Clarky. I want to talk to you. Hurry up with that tea, Beaumont. Coming. Ah. You let it stand, like I said? Five minutes, Sarge. Colour looks right anyway. Where's Chadwick? In his room at the pub, resting. Good. Now, this is strictly between ourselves. It goes no further. It seems there are doubts as to our Mr Chadwick's identity. Eh? Mitchell's dead. Oh. Half an hour ago. I was there. He'd asked to see me, and according to him, our Mr Chadwick is a fake. His name is Sanderson, and he's never been a cop in his life. Ah. Then who is he? That's all Mitchell said. Ooh, uh, Swap you a pilchard sandwich for one of your bacon sandwiches, Beaumont? Is that an order, Sergeant? Yes, it damn well is. I'll give you one. No, please keep the pilchard. Uh, Constable Clark's been having doubts about Chadwick as well, Sergeant. Huh? Have you, Clarky? How come you kept so quiet about it? Well, superior officer and all that, Sarge. Didn't think you'd like to hear me run him down. You surely know me better than they. Come on, cough it up. Well, Rose at the pub tells me he hasn't slept in that bed since he's been here. Always out. Roaming around in his car. Nothing very sinister in there. Yeah, all right. Now, excluding the geologist, don't you think it's more than a coincidence that the killings only started after he arrived? And he's nearly always the lucky man to discover the bodies. So, coincidences happen. Here. Yeah. How come I've got all fat in my sandwich, Bowman, and you've got all meat? Coincidence, Sarge. Tell him about the so-called cut on his hand, Clarkie. Yeah. Remember how he staggered out of that shed when he'd found Eric Farrell's body? Mm. How he pretended to be sick? Pretended? Sounded real enough to me. Oh, yeah, it sounded real enough. Made us all politely avert our gaze. I didn't avert mine. I'm sure he was hiding something behind that rainwater barrel. Hiding what? Well, I don't know. First chance I got, I looked. Nothing. He must have retrieved it. Assuming he'd put anything there in the first place. Well, do you want to hear any more? You know me, Clarkie. Anything bad about Chadwick, and I'm all ears. There was blood on his hand. He said he'd torn it on a nail, right? But later on, I could see the one with scratch on it. He put his hand on some spare blood. God knows there was enough of it about. So why'd he pretend he'd torn it on a nail? Had you ever heard of him before he dumped himself on our doorstep? I know very few of the London hierarchy. Yeah, I suppose he produced identification. Uh, a letter from the Chief Constable. Which could have been forged. Oh. Why don't you phone the Chief Constable? Why don't you learn how to make a decent cup of tea? Well, he's right, Sarge. Phone up. Go on, ask for confirmation. I couldn't do that. Why not? Mm. Well, supposing he's genuine, I'd be going behind the senior officer's back. It's not as if we got any real proof. Did Mitchell say anything else? He reckons Chadwick shot him with deliberate intent to kill. Well, that's it then, Nick. You've got a duty to follow an allegation like that through. You've got to, Sarge. Uh, I don't know. I'll get county headquarters for you. Ask the chief constable. <sighs> Darling's the easy bit. I'm the one that's got to talk to him. I'm the one could get all the comebacks. Oh, go on in. It's ringing. 
County, please. Sergeant Fowler of Polford, speak to the Chief Constable. I'm afraid the Chief Constable isn't available at the moment. Well, the Assistant Chief Constable, then. I'm afraid he isn't available either. Can I take a message? Just a minute. Operator wants to know if he can take a message, Sarge. Give me the phone. What's up, Clacky? I'll tell you in a minute. <coughs> Hello, County. This is Sergeant Fowler, Palford District. I'm afraid the Chief Constable isn't available, Sergeant. Emergency meeting, this rabies business. Can I take a message? Sergeant, I said, can I take a message? Uh, no. No, thank you. I'll call back. That's odd. Sarge, when I phoned Norriston Hospital last night for the doctor, I swear the same bloke answered the phone. And I'll tell you something else. I phoned the GPO engineers yesterday to report the call boxes out of order. He answered that call as well. The self-same bloke. Nothing seemed to add up. Nothing made sense. Later that night, the fog returned and hung thickly over the sea. And something else happened It didn't make sense. A fisherman reported that the lighthouse beacon was in darkness and the fog siren was sounding strangely. That's right, Sarge. The light's out. And what the hell is he playing at with that foghorn? Oh, it's a signal of some kind. Right. Inside. Let's get the coast guards. It's their pigeon, not ours. Ah, the damn thing's dead. Clarky, get on the radio. Right. Hello, Coast Guard. Hello, Coast Guard. Pulford Police here. Come in, please. Hey, what sort of noise is that? Jamming of some kind. Hello, Coast Guards. Come in, please. Ah, it's useless. They never hear us through that. We'll have to get across to the lighthouse ourselves. Well, oh, there's not an undamaged boat in the harbour. The rubber dinghy from Mitchell's van. Going out in a fog in a dinghy? I don't fancy that much, sir. You don't have to fancy it. You're not going. I'll be taking Mr Chadwick. Nip over the pub and fetch him Beaumont. Tell him it's urgent. Sarge. This is our chance, Clarky. As soon as he's out the way, you and Beaumont search his room. Let's try and find out who he really is. I shouldn't have let you in. It's his private room. It's all right, Rose. Special police exercise. Only don't tell Chadwick we've been here. The mess you're making, I won't have to tell him. Talking. Duty calls, Rose. See you later. You'll get me into trouble. Mind reader. What you found? This suitcase. Here, let me have a go. Go on, Bennett. Blimey. It's a lock and a half up, that is. What's he got in there? The crown jewels? Yeah. <laughs> There's no way I can force that. <sighs> Dear, it's metal lined. Mm. Aluminium, I think. Nip down in the car. There's Axor in the boot. Right. I can't row anymore. You don't have to. But yeah. Or Zan. Uh, right. I'll go first. Now, give me your hand. Careful, it's slippery. Salem stopped. Yeah, let's get inside. Mr. Jackson? Mr. Jackson? Stay away from me! Stay away! Up there, quick!
Ah, uh, that should do it. We've ruined his case. Well, if it's his dirty washing, we're in trouble. Bloody hell! It wasn't dirty washing. It was a miniature arsenal. Guns, grenades, rounds of ammunition, and that wasn't all. Radio transmitter, complete with scrambling circuits. Here, there's something underneath. Underneath was the star prize. A wooden-handled carving knife with a long, razor-sharp blade, all heavily blood-stained and carefully preserved in a polythene bag. We had found the knife that had stabbed Carter and Farrow to death. Who are you shouting at? There's no one here. I shall kill you. I shall kill you. He's mad. He's still staring mad. Mr. Jackson, it's Sergeant Fowler. You know me. Stay away from me. Stay away. He's climbing over the rail. Oh, no. He's going to jump. I'll grab him. Quick. Mr. Jackson, don't. No! Clark, Sergeant Fowler, come in, please. Fowler to Clark. What is it, Clarky? Is, uh, is there a friend within earshot, Sarge? No, he's down below. Why? What you found out? There's not an unbroken bone left in his body. What a way to kill yourself. There's no possible way you can make this death look like murder, is there, Mr. Saunderson? Saunderson? Where did you get that gun, Sergeant? The safety catch is off, you know. It's Mitchell's gun. Keep your hands where I can see them. I was looking for my identification, actually. May I get it? Uh, my inside pocket? No sudden moves, then. I'm not as clever with guns as you are, Mr. Saunderson. A brigadier, Saunderson, actually. A Ministry of Defence. Yes, I was afraid Mitchell might recognise me. We did our army training together many years ago. Uh, here are my credentials. Hmm. The last lot of credentials you showed me said you were Chief Superintendent Chadwick. Ease your finger off that trigger, Sergeant, please. Well, if you won't believe my credentials, would you believe your chief constable? I might. When we get back, we'll phone him. Our phone's dead. Well, don't worry. It'll be put right for our call. Trust me, Sergeant. No way. Why did you come here? I told you. To find the killer of all those people. You know his name? Whose name? The murderer. <laughs> I've always known who was responsible for the deaths. Who? Aldridge, the so-called oil company geologist. Ironically, he was the first to die, but he was responsible for all those deaths. I am now looking for the killer. You're talking rubbish. Am I? Do you mind if I sit down? Where shall I start? Tell me about Aldridge. Aldridge. Until very recently, he was a low-grade laboratory technician in the Bacteriological Warfare Department of Portland Down. But the story really starts... Back in 1943. I'm not interested in what happened 40 years ago. I'm concerned with the past 24 hours. Bear with me. 1943. World War II. Sergeant Fowler had left his radio on transmit so Dave Clark and I could hear everything Chadwick said. It seems that in 1943 we were planning ahead for the invasion. Hitler had captured most of Europe in a matter of weeks with minimum loss to his own troops. A few Stuka dive bombers screaming down and the civilian population panicked, blocking roads so our troops couldn't get through to counter the German advance. We wanted something similar for the invasion, but we couldn't dive bomb our own allies. 
So our scientists came up with what they thought was the perfect answer. A harmless virus that caused panic. The virus that causes panic, this is pure science fiction. Is it? They were copying nature. Do you know what happens to a rabies victim? Water terrifies him. Even the faint sound of a dripping tap is enough to send him in, into screaming convulsions. He won't swallow for fear he will drown in his own spittle. It's caused by a virus that goes straight to those few cells in the human brain that control our fear of water. Well, using this as a starting point, the team developed PX1, a virus many times more powerful, but far less selective. PX1 attacked all parts of the brain that control fear. Not science fiction, Sergeant. Fact. According to Chadwick, PX1 was tested on laboratory rats. It worked too damn well. The rats did more than panic. They tore each other to pieces. Then it was tried on a detachment of enemy troops. They tried it on men? Yes. Like the rats, the troops killed each other. The survivor, an officer, put his pistol in his mouth and pulled the trigger. PX-1 was a failure. It made everything an object of menace, something to be killed before it killed you. And when there was no one left to kill, the victim's greatest danger was himself, the final menace to be wiped out. Which is why the German officer committed suicide. This is unbelievable. So it couldn't be used on civilians. But on the basis of waste not, want not, it was suggested it could be used as a weapon on the enemy. They would wipe themselves out, then all we had to do was march in and bury the bodies. That's sick. Yes. Of course, Churchill would have none of it. He gave orders that the PX project and something even nastier that the team were developing were to be scrapped, stocks and records destroyed, and the team disbanded. And did they destroy it? No. They made a token show of obeying the PM, but small quantities of PX-1 and the other virus were removed and hidden, together with copies of research notes. A couple of days later, the entire team were wiped out when a V-1 scored a direct hit on the lab. That should have been the end of it all. Their secret should have died with them. But it didn't. No. Somehow or other, Aldridge found the stuff. There was something about Chadwick's story that just didn't ring true. A panic virus developed over 40 years ago. It was a load of rubbish. But by God, whatever other lies Chadwick was telling, I was soon to have proof enough that the virus was genuine. PX1 had caused the deaths of Aldridge, Harry Day, Pete Carter, Eric Farrow, Miss Reed, Doug Hemmings, Jackson and, indirectly, Mitchell. Somehow or other, Aldridge had found the stuff and tried to blackmail the government. Five million pounds or he'd sell it to the Russians. The government decided to call his bluff. So Aldridge contacted the Russians, who couldn't produce the five million quid quickly enough. He'd sold it to them. He'd offered it to them and they were prepared to meet his terms, subject to proof. By this time, Aldridge had gone into hiding. Neither we nor the Russians knew where he was. He was camped out in his tent on the moor, calling on people, chatting them up, infecting them with the virus. We'll never know if it was done by accident or done deliberately to give the Russians the proof they demanded, and we neither know nor care whether it was an accident or sheer carelessness that caused him to infect himself. 
but as soon as Chadwick learnt of the death of a man so panic-stricken, he charged through thorn bushes with his eye ripped out. He knew he'd found Aldridge. The next priority was to find the virus before the Russians did. To put them off the scent, all deaths had to look like murder. Harry Day's face was smashed in. One of my men was in the pub when Albert Maskell told of hearing screams on the moor. He guessed it could have been victim number two, so went out to look for the body. It was necessary to make the death look like the work of a madman. One of your men. Camped out on the moor. We keep contact by radio. It was Chadwick who pulled the knife from Eric Farrow's back and wiped it clean of blood on his hair. Sarah Carter had stabbed both men and then drowned herself. Chadwick also hit the shotgun that Hemmings had used to kill Miss Reed and then used to take his own life. As the doctor had said, if the gun had been found next to the body, it would have been a classic case of suicide. I kept the knife, by the way. I know. Bowman and Clark found it when they searched your room tonight. They did what? I'm not having you going behind my back, Sergeant. That will be the first and last time. I preserved that knife for a specific purpose. You are to see that it is found in Mitchell's house bearing Mitchell's fingerprints. He is to be our scapegoat, our maniac killer. I don't plant false evidence, Brigadier. You will do as you're damn well told, Sergeant. Mitchell claimed you shot him deliberately. I say I didn't. You will accept that. And then Chadwick came out with something even better than the panic virus story. It seems that included in the package deal that Aldridge was offering to the Russians was the star prize the other goody our wartime scientists had knocked up in their spare time. PX2, a plague virus of the most virulent and appalling kind. When Chadwick went into detail about how its victims died, I was physically sick. You've no conception of what this stuff can do, of how fast it spreads. As soon as we learnt of Aldridge's death, this entire area was cut off. It's ringed with armed troops. No one is allowed in or out. Troops? Oh, there's no mass prison escape. There's no outbreak of rabies. Just an excuse to have our men standing by. One single plague symptom, and anyone attempting to leave the area will be shot. Including you? Yes, including me. And when everyone in the area was dead, they'd bring the flamethrowers in and hope and pray that that would contain it. Why do you think my chap has been smashing your boats? To prevent any escape by sea. And is that why our phones have been out of order? Apart from the police phone. All your calls go direct to my command post. We were wondering why the same man answered all the calls. Yeah, that was careless of us. But we've never done anything like this before. We'll do better next time. May I have that gun now, please? I suppose so. Yeah. Thank you. How long are my people going to be isolated like this? Until we locate the virus and are satisfied that the container is still intact. Yes, sir. I see, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, assuming that was the Chief Constable, Chadwick would appear to be genuine. You don't sound too certain. I don't know too much about viruses, but I would never have thought you could have kept them hidden away and alive for nearly 40 years. You could ask the doctor. No, no, we've been sworn to secrecy. We'd better get to bed. First thing in the morning, we're going to start scouring the area to try and find the stuff. It'll be like looking for a needle in a flaming haystack. Where do we start? Well, at least it'll be more interesting than hauling Fred Dickey's dead cow off the foreshore. Fred Dickey's cow? 
Do you remember what he said, Bowman, when he reported it had gone over the cliff? He was blaming Aldridge. He said, what was he doing in my field at 12 o'clock at night? So what was he doing there? That's miles away from where he had his tent. Clacky, what's at the back of Fred's place? You'd have to go through his field to reach it. The old tin mine. And what better nice safe place could you find if you wanted to hide something? Get the car out. And that's where we found it. The old tin mine. A heavy metal container thickly lined with polystyrene and holding a number of small sealed capsules. Some labelled PX1 and two smaller ones labelled PX2. Look at the dates on the labels, Sarge. Batch 37, October 1981. These aren't 40 years old. All right, Sarge. What? Might I suggest you put it down very, very carefully? You followed us? Not really. Spotted your car streaking this way, so I thought I'd find out what you were up to behind my back. Seems to be intact. Thank God. Leave it here. No one touch it. I'll have my chap stand guard tonight and I'll send a helicopter to collect it as soon as it's light. You've been lying to us, Brigadier. That wasn't left over from the last war. That's current production. We're actually producing that filth now. My story was basically true. I might have confused the dates a little, but it's no concern of yours, mine, or anyone, Sergeant. We've got it back. That's all that matters. Seven o'clock, you early birds, and here's the latest news from Radio Coastline. Actually, all the prisoners who escaped from the jail have now been recaptured. Trying to get outside. All right, all right. I heard you the first time. Must he be so flaming cheerful first thing in the morning? Good Lord, the phones are working. Fowler, yes, sir. Yes. Right, yes, I'll tell him. That was Inspector Burton. They're ready for you at Denton. Want you to go there today. Oh, I'll get my stuff together then. Clarkie will run you into Norriston. I'll miss you, Beaumont. <sighs> but I won't miss your lousy tea. And that was the last I saw of Polford. It wasn't until a couple of days later that I heard about the helicopter crash. In the Polford area, someone said. I tried to phone Dave Clark at his home. Got the unobtainable signal. Same thing happened when I tried the pub and the doctor. Then I tried the police house. Hello? Uh, is that the police house? Yes. Could I speak to Sergeant Fowler, please? I'm afraid Sergeant Fowler isn't available. Can I take a message? Who is this calling, please? Who is this calling? Until I'd been to Polford, I'd never seen a dead body. I'd never known real fear. But now I'm terrified. That was the final part of Outbreak of Fear by R.D. Wingfield, with Leslie Sands as Sergeant Fowler, and Nick Orchard as Constable Roy Beaumont. The rest of the cast, Chadwick, Nicholas Courtney, Dave Clark, Cornelius Garrett, Dr. Lethbridge, Paul Nicholson, Mitchell, Conrad Phillips, Rose, Gilly Gratham, the operator, Brian Gear, the disc jockey, Jim Reed, and Jackson, Roger Leach. The programme was directed in Bristol by Brian Miller.